Fig planting season is here. And this week on Farmers Inside Track, we share the ultimate guide to growing figs for beginner farmers. Yak Yordan, owner and founder of Real Farmers Trust, joins us again. Now, the Real Farmers Development Trust was founded by farmers for farmers, aimed at supporting food producers with the necessary skills and networks to thrive in Mzanzi's agri-sector. Our book of the week is Simplified by Richard Koch and Greg Lockwood. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Louis Barnard, a.k.a. Frugal Sibusiso, owner and founder of Effectify. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome back to episode 119 of Food for Mzansi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. Now, I'm Dawn Numdu, the manager for audience and engagement at Food for Mzansi. Let's get straight into it with that promise guide to growing figs for beginner farmers. Nicole Ludolf chats to Keith Wilson, the country's foremost fig farming expert. Thank you so much, Dawn. Now, Keith, can you tell us a bit about fig farming, please? What is the process around fig farming and what are the climate conditions that are needed to farm with figs? It needs a dry climate. In summer, you don't want too much rain. It shouldn't be too dry because it does affect the size of figs as well. It's quite tricky. Figs, well, they'll grow anywhere, but climatically, they are certain places that they prefer. Cooler evening type of thing is preferable than a climate that's is continually hot. Our Mediterranean area of the Western Cape is probably suitable to grow it. At the moment, it would be Portable, Palm, Wellington, Napier, Worcester, and then up into Ladysmith, sort of on the way to the uh, Longkloof. That's where you'd find most. Uh, the biggest fig farmer is near Napier. They grow about 50 hectares. One in Worcester, is, he must have about 35 hectares. We're also looking now in the complete northwest near the border with Botswana, which is also dry as an early area. So we are, I'm doing some trials up there with farmers to extend our season. Climatically, a fig can find it almost anywhere in the world, you know, except where it goes below, I think, 10 degrees. Figs, I think, less suited to very sandy soils, but they will still grow there. A soil that's more suitable for figs is a more loamy type of soil. If you've got a good soil or if you can enrich the soil with carbon. Carbon means, you know, anything like well-rotted manure or compost and things like that. It's got a deep and a shallow root system. And the shallow system is the one that actually feeds it. The deeper one is more the anchoring of the plant. We would plant trees sort of in August, September, the general time. Although some people would plant even in the cooler months like April, you can also plant trees. And then your first harvest would be sort of after about two years. You'd harvest a small amount. By year five, the trees are mature. So in other words, they're bearing their full potential. It's actually relatively inexpensive to do fig farming because your plant material won't be too expensive. You would have to do soil preparation, but if you had very good soil, that wouldn't be an expensive input. Some farmers use drip irrigation, but my personal view is that naturally you can do better with a sprinkler system because of the root system of the fig. But they grow successfully with drip, but I wouldn't really 
consider that optimum with strip. Very few farming endeavors are without challenges. What are some of the challenges you experience as a fig farmer? There's a beetle, and it's an indigenous beetle. It wasn't even sort of an imported alien. What's called a stem borer. It lays an egg under the cambium layer of the tree. That thing hatches out and starts eating the inside of the tree. They have it in other countries as well, but not the same beetle. But this particular beetle was endemic into our country, and its association was with the indigenous willow tree that grows near rivers. So this beetle is now love fig trees. And so it's actually caused quite a lot of damage in areas, and there's no real way to combat it because it tends to be seen at a certain time of the season. So we catch them by hand. Now, eventually it can destroy a tree, and they look like prehistoric beetles. They're huge. They're not very nimble. They can catch them quite easily. In certain areas, the other problem that we have, and this was introduced and was found in about 2007, I think, in South Africa. It's called the black fig fly. It only attacks fig, and only when they're very small, before they even become ripe, they lay eggs at the osteol, you know. It's a little hole under the fig, and then those eggs breed out. But as soon as that's done, the fig, after a while, will fall off. And then the other thing that tends to affect figs as a disease is fusarium, which is a, a fungi. It can affect, for example, where you've got a lot of rain and so on. It could cause even disease on the leaves and so on. It's a dust-carried fungi. It needs certain temperatures to sort of start activating it. It also sort of enters the fig through the osteol. And you would find, particularly in the beginning of the season, because it seems to be very active year around 20, 22 degrees, that it infects the fig, in fact. And we have, for example, the black fig fly. What I do is use old milk bottles, two-liter milk bottles. We make a mixture of brewer's yeast, sugar, and water. Prick fine in holes in the bottle. And these flies, they like to go in there. It's like an attract and kill type of thing. So we hang one in a tree and get these things set up. Before they start being active, you can overcome the problem quite simply. And finally... Do you have any tips or pieces of advice for aspiring fig farmers? First, find out which varieties are preferred and use that as your sort of starting point. I think South Africa have always had a history of export fruit and so on. We've got fertilizer programs that are really um, are quite, you know, for all fruit types. Whereas a fig, it's quite different. You know, I see it often that the guys still think that they can like fertilize and figs during the season and a fig is quite different to other fruit types. If you think about how fig grows, it's quite different. Most things just flower at one stage and then your fruit comes perhaps a week or two apart later. Whereas a fig, as it grows, it produces fruit. Its needs are different. The Europeans and North Africans they let's call it fertilized they don't really because they would maybe use very natural products and they do that in winter when they get rain and that's it they don't do anything in the summer and i think that's a big mistake that's one of the bigger mistakes that are done in south africa is this idea that it's like vineyards and you need to have fertilizer and so on the downside of figs as a farmer, you should just, that time that you harvest, there's no respite. It's a daily thing, and it's, say, five weeks. And if you dedicate it enough, you'll 
you'll be successful because there's many farmers that don't do much trouble to work on a Saturday or a Sunday, but figs don't wait. They ripen every day. A lot more complicated in that respect, I think. And they need a, a quick process of getting it to into the market. So it's, you know, keeping it cool. And, you know, if you can manage that, I think you can make a good success of it. Yeah. Thanks, Nicole. And great having you, Keith Wilson. Now, this is someone that you can sit around the table with and talk about figs all day. Next up, Yak Yordan, the owner and founder of Real Farmer Trust, joins us now. Now, the Real Farmer Development Trust was founded by farmers for farmers, and their aim is to support the farmers with the necessary skills and networks to thrive in Mzanzi's agri-sector. Yak, now the last time we spoke, you gave us a very clear picture of what Real Farmer Trust does. But for those who missed the episode, maybe you could just give us a short introduction again about Real Farmer Trust. Real Farmer Trust was developed after we did training courses where we trained quite a lot of new farmers. And we realized they wanted to be part of something further than just the training. The Real Farmers Trust was actually an umbrella business that was developed to keep these farmers that we've just did the training on, to keep them part of something bigger. As we moved on, we realized there's a lot of benefits for them to be part of this. After we started talking to suppliers and other input costs where we can save them money and help them to get new tech in the market, we realized that there was definitely something that we can do to help them. Now, this time I maybe like to focus on some of the costs involved about becoming a member. What do people have to keep in mind? The last time you spoke about a membership fee and a subscription fee throughout the period that you're part of the trust. Could you give us a little bit more details about that? So initial joining fee of, of 300 rand to become part of the trust. And then from there on, it's a 50 rand monthly subscription. Most of the, the guys that join do a yearly subscription pay up front. But that's not necessary. It's a 50 rand a month subscription and a 300 rand joining fee come part of the trust. Yuck, I think that's very doable as a new farmer to be able to join with the benefits that you're offering as part of the trust. Maybe you can maybe just tell us a little bit about, is the expectation that you have to have a certain turnover if you're a new player in the game? Is there a specific criteria that you expect the farmers to adhere to when joining the trust? At this stage, there's no criteria, no expected turnover if you might not even have started your business yet, you can still become a member. So there's no expectation of you having a certain amount of turnover, a certain type of farming, a certain type of person. Some of the members are joining as a co-op. Some of the members are part of a trust. Some of the members are farming individually. There's no specific specifications about who and how you can join from that perspective. Now, the last time we spoke, you mentioned offices that you have as bases. But where is Real Farmer Trust located? If I'd maybe like to step into an office or speak to someone, how do I do that? So the main office is in Kobeja here in PE, but there's, there's smaller offices in Kimberley as well and in Bloemfontein. And we're looking at setting up an office in Paul as well. So this stage, that's the current offices. But like I said in the previous episode as well, with modern technology, it's so easy to get hold of any person. So we are available for any questions. If you look onto the website, there is some frequently asked questions and answers. There is there some space there where you can ask questions that are not maybe answered on the website already. And we've got a dedicated team that will look at your questions and see if we can answer it for you ASAP. I think it's definitely helpful to have so much access to you and the trust and the people that's part of your network. Maybe we can briefly talk about some of the support from individuals or other farmers with experience like yourself that would be available as part of the trust. Could you maybe clarify or explain how that will work? 
the class is basically just the, the basis where we work from. So from there on, if an individual wants to applying for funding or looking to expand his business, maybe looking to find a business partner, we will look at each application as an individual process. So it will, of course, we'll look geographically where the person is located and what he wants to do. And from there on, we got in our network a lot of big farmers or specialist farmers in certain areas. So we will then link this person up with, with that specific person and see how we can help him to get to his, his goal. Just in terms of the support, besides what you've just mentioned, what is the value that farmers get from joining the trust? I mean, you spoke about previously about the nitty gritties of starting the business, but also farmer days and support in terms of the operational side of it and the physical farming side of it. What is it that farmers will get in terms of support from the Real Farmer Trust besides what you've just mentioned? The plan is that each of the members will get a bank card and we're looking at two or three banks that are supporters in this where he can actually go and do his purchases on a, like a debit card in the name of the trust so he will get a discounted amount when he buys his normal input costs from the local co-op. So there's an immediately monetary upside here for a member where he can get proper discounts on some of his purchases. We want to expand that part of the business quite widely. That will also help if we, as we grow and get more members, our bargaining power will become better. So in the end, this will probably be the biggest benefit for any farmer to be part of the trust. And of course, there's additional training courses we want to give our members access to. So we are looking at follow-up courses and some of the members hasn't been on the first courses to get them to that course of them. And then a big thing in farming is the administration side. A normal farmer knows how to farm, but his admin skills are normally neglected. We've developed a system in the group where we can help the farmers to actually get their administration, accounting, all of that on a very easy and paperless way. Manage good benefit for farmers as well. I think it definitely sounds like an all-round dynamic offering that you're giving farmers who are part of the trust. Just in closing, is there anything specific that you think that farmers should know listening who is maybe interested in this and joining Real Farmer Trust? What makes us so unique is we are all inclusive, so any person can join the trust. It's a male, female, young, old, doesn't matter if you're farming in a co-op or in a trust or a company. So we're all inclusive from that perspective. Not everything will benefit every person, but I think as a group, what we're trying to give to our members is we're trying to give at least something to each member joining the trust. So even if you're just sitting in home and want to learn more about farming, you'll get our information pages and it'll tell you what's happening where and new trends in the market. So we're trying to give each member that joins the trust, in the long run, you want to give each member the trust at least something to benefit from. If you are already a small-scale farmer and are buying your input supplies from your local co-op, we are looking to try and help you save money on those everyday input costs. If you're a bigger farmer that already got your own accounts everywhere, we are looking to try and make your business feel more efficient by maybe looking at your accounting software and your contact all and stuff of your, your workers and suppliers and customers. So with each and every different farmer in a different way. It's not a, you can't have something that will benefit everybody, but we're trying to give at least each and every member something to benefit from a trust. Thanks for joining us here again on Farmers Inside Track. Yak Yordan, the owner and founder of Real Farmers Trust. Next up, and before we let you go, our book of the week, Simplified by Richard Koch and Greg Lockwood. 
In Simplified, the authors examine how businesses use either price or proposition simplification as a strategy to gain market share. The principles and processes to introduce each strategy are clearly illustrated through many practical examples. Caroline Sampson, Head of Strategy and Sustainability at Access Bank SA, reviews this book for us. In Simplified, authors Richard Koch and Greg Lakewood examine how businesses use either price or proposition simplification as a strategy to gain market share. In the case of price simplification, a company makes something much cheaper by redesigning both how the product is made and how it is distributed. A great example is Henry Ford's project to reproduce the Model T Ford. He eliminated many options like a selection of colors, redesigned the manufacturing process, and simplified the design to reduce the price to within the range of middle-income households. Other notable examples include the McDonald's Brothers, Southwest Airlines, and furniture company IKEA. Proposition simplifiers focus on ease of use, where companies deliver products that are more useful based on performance, quality, variety or capability, and normally aimed at the higher end of any market to capture bigger profit margins. The most cited example of these is Apple. The principles and processes to introduce each strategy are clearly illustrated through many practical examples in this very readable strategy guide. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. Right through all departments and companies within the VKB Group, we know that farming is not just a job, it's a way of life. Let VKB help you in all aspects of the food value chain by efficiently reducing costs and optimizing value. Follow VKB on Facebook or vkb.co.za to find out how VKB can help you. VKB, for the love of the land. This sounds like a must read, I must say. Remember, if you would like to review a book for us, or if you have a book suggestion, feel free to email info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, and you know we can't end this podcast without sharing this, it's our farmer tip of the week. This one comes from Louis Barnard, aka Frugal Sibusiso, the owner and founder of Effectify. He talks about how farmers can balance their books. If you are looking for funding, many banks and companies will, whether it's a private company or whether it's a government grant, you're going to have to prepare some form of documents to say, this is what I've done. This is projections for what I want to do. You're going to have to have all of that paperwork as well. But I think the value for me in having financial statements and having your, your books in order and balancing your books is you know what's going on in your business. Many people don't know what's actually going on in the business. If you know what's going on in your business, you know, can I expand? Can I grow? Can I scale it? Thanks, Frugal owner and founder of Effectify. And that brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track. Now for more stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who really go above and beyond to feed us, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Plus, don't forget to catch our weekly sessions on all things farming on Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. Remember, if you loved this podcast, you better rate it and share it with your friends and family members. And don't forget your fellow farmers. And be sure to also check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. From me, Don Numdu, our producer Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team, have a great week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. 
go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. 